This is an RNZ podcast. This is Media Watch. I'm Colin Peacock, back again for 2023. Well, the surprise demise of the Prime Minister stunned even her own colleagues over the break. Oh, shit. You know, I wasn't expecting it. But neither did the media, as we'll hear. But they filled their tanks pretty fast to get up to speed and then go into overdrive over what the Prime Minister's resignation might mean for the future and how to weigh up the Prime Minister's past. Also, angst over the state of our highways was one of the sagas of the summer too, with claims that they're the worst they've ever been, getting a distinctly political push. All that and more now as we look back at what we missed while we were off the air over summer. Happy New Year to you. And for the texter who's isolating with two dogs and four sheep, much respect, take care, says Josh. Oh, you're all tremendously lovely, aren't you? Very nice indeed. 11 to 8, News Talk ZB. That was News Talk ZB host Roman Travers on New Year's Eve evening in 2022, though the next to call in had a rather different vibe, complaining that the tunes Roman was rolling out were giving her a headache. We'll just turn the volume down slightly. My radio. Yeah, if it's giving you a headache, or just take Panadol and turn it up. No, 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 no. I just don't like that music. And Kathy wasn't all that enthusiastic about the impending New Year either. 2022 or 2023, and it's always about, oh, we're going to 2023, it's going to be wonderful. No. Why wouldn't you, like, go, yay, yay, and you, let's turn a new page and see if something... Hey, man, you don't know my life, do you? No, I don't. I don't have time to hear about it either, Kathy. but it sounds like you're quite miserable. And if I was you, I'd take a few Panadols and turn the radio up because you'll love the next track. That'll really rattle the dentures. But with all that 2022 served up to all of us, well, Kathy couldn't have been the only one out there short on optimism for 2023. And in terms of news, the old year was limping to an end too, with compelling stories in short supply over the summer silly season news drought. That night, for instance, Roman Travers was asking his listeners this. Do you remember last week, if you weren't here last week, you missed a rip snorter. It was six hours of laundry. A week later on ZB, Roman Travers was back, marking the passing of another 60s star of the guitar. David Crosby wrote many of their beloved tunes, including Almost Cut My Hair, Long Time Gone and Deja Vu. Here's Crosby, Stills and Nash with Southern Cross from 1982. And the same day on RNZ National... Here's David Crosby, may he rest in peace, Stills and Nash, Southern Cross. But while rock stars passing on passed as news during the summer news drought, so did the absence of summer weather. Aucklanders have been left feeling, quite frankly, ripped off by the summer. New figures from Niwa show the City of Sales had, has had just over two hours of sunshine per day so far this year. Where's our summer? The Weekend Herald asked aggressively on the 7th of January in huge block capitals on the front page. And as sightings of the sun up north replaced shark sightings as slow summer news, TVNZ add the ultimate insult to Auckland, a Wellingtonian dissing their weather. You're from Wellington and you've opted to wear a puffer today. Yeah, it's very strange. We've had so much rain. It's left those in the city of Sales feeling... Ripped off. <laughs> and as if to redress the balance on that, TVNZ reported last Tuesday new data indicating that the sunny days upon which Wellington allegedly cannot be beaten actually only dawn about 26 times a year. But it was no laughing matter at all last Friday when more than the usual summer's worth of rain for the Auckland region came down in just a few hours and then kept on coming. 
While Talk Radio Networks pivoted to live coverage and timely updates, TV News, which is yet to fully fire up for the year, didn't go to fuller coverage until their own 6pm TV News bulletins were on the air last Friday. People have been wading out of here, water up to their shoulders, flood water through their homes, carrying each other, assisting people who need help out, carrying pets. We've seen dogs pulled out. Hot plants floating along the waterline, rubbish bins floating, cars almost completely submerged in the floodwaters. One of the cars here still has its window wipers on, suggesting that people had tried to drive out but just couldn't beat those rising floodwaters. That was News Hub's Alice Wilkins in West Auckland and the downpour was so intense that you could see the water had risen when they returned to her at the same spot later on in the hour. Now, rolling coverage was easier done than said that day out of Auckland. It turned out some news headquarters had inundations of their own to deal with. RNZ Centre City Building in Auckland, for example, was evacuated just before 6pm, knocking checkpoint on the air and leaving the Wellington news crew to take over the broadcast at short notice. And at 7pm live on TV Channel 3, the project began like this. We sprung a leak, and so you're looking at us now, standing in a corner of our beautiful studio. The desk has been removed. Our audience has somehow managed to make it. And we are bringing the show to you from a really unusual position as we have become part of this major weather event which is unfolding. Now at that moment, thousands of people were still on the move hoping to see Elton John at Mount Smart. So if you are thinking about taking an umbrella tomorrow night or even tonight, don't think about it, Sam. But very soon after that, the gig was scratched at almost literally the last minute. And the lack of speed and clarity making and communicating that decision preceded bigger and angrier questions about the overall emergency management response and communications in the region, especially after the confirmation that one person had died. People looking online for info from authorities like Waka Kotahi and Auckland Emergency Management and the City Council found little and said a lot about it online. And Elton John wasn't the name that was trending on social media. During the evening, MPs and councillors urged Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown to declare a state of emergency or even make any kind of public statement. Now, coincidentally, Wayne Brown was already offside with the news media. Two days earlier, RNZ had reported this. Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown accepted just two requests for an interview in the month after taking office. He received 108 media requests, according to Council data, half of which were interview requests that were flatly denied. And on the very morning that the rain had started to fall, Today FM producer Tom Day said that the mayor had turned down an interview on the network that day in a text message saying that he'd be playing tennis at the time. Though a glance at the weather forecast would have shown it wasn't really shaping up as an anyone for tennis kind of day. When Wayne Brown eventually did face reporters for the first time on Friday night, he said that it wasn't his job to run outside with buckets, but to consult with the professionals. We are taking the appropriate steps at the appropriate time, not rushing into them uh, in response to noise outside. This is a formal, serious business, and the effects of it will go on for some time. And just to confirm one last time, you were happy with the um, stage at what a save emergency was cleared? Well, there's nothing to be happy about today. Am I confident that we did the right thing at the right time? Absolutely. And the outside noise about the economy of his public-facing response was, like the water levels, still rising. 
The next morning, this was in the news bulletin for News Talk ZB. Auckland Mayor Wayne Brown's under fire for the length of time it took to declare a local state of emergency. Senior Labour Minister and MP for Mount Roskill, Michael Wood, confirmed that while ministers and MPs were coordinating, the formal declaration sat solely with Brown. And this was Today FM's lead story. Criticism of the lack of updates during the flooding emergency. East Coast Bay's MP Erica Stanford says she was inundated with requests for help from frightened people. There was just a complete void last night of any information and in the end the people that set up with the local churches, there was absolutely nothing. So the big feeling here was just absolute frustration. But Wayne Brown did front up about all that with Kim Hill on RNZ Nationals Saturday morning. I'm guided from the professional experts in the field rather than just from Twitter. I understand that, and I'm not referring to Twitter, but is it your understanding that evacuation centres were compromised and that's why the state of emergency was not called earlier? No, they were compromised, but the, the state of emergency was, wasn't called early because at that stage, my belief is that they, the professionals felt they were coping And when Kim Hill asked Wayne Brown if the infrastructure of Auckland being overwhelmed so suddenly was alarming, his response was this. This is an unprecedented event. It'll be interesting to see just how well-prepared Wellington is when the earthquake starts. um, That's a low blow under the circumstances, Mr Brown. But I'm just suggesting is that people rise to the occasion. Um, We will be having a review afterwards to see exactly what could have been done better. Well, reviews of how Wayne Brown was doing so far are already underway in the media, but not many were saying that he had really risen to the occasion. One who did step up on the air, though, was Nigel Yaldon, usually a sports host for Today FM, but on Saturday morning hosting a news special on the emergency. And yes, I know people have rightfully been pointing out about the lack of communication last night. It appears as though that it is significantly better and has become significantly uh, better since the um, national emergency management organisation got involved with it. Shortly after that, Nigel Yaldon got Today FM's regular weekday morning host Duncan Garner on the line and he had his own take on the Mayor's performance. What are the questions that Mate, you expect I'll, to be I'll, asked? I'll, I'll, be, I'll be one of the ones asking them and, and first of all, Wayne Brown has to front up. He's the Mayor of the city. Does he take the job seriously Does he or does he not? Does he understand what uh, went on last night? Does he understand why? And does he understand what's available to him as a mayor in terms of an emergency, why we call civil defence emergencies, what's available and the reason we do it? Uh, because if he doesn't get it, then he must well stand down and let's have a by-election or do like say. Could be an interesting show coming up this week. Duncan Garner also reckoned on the spot that Auckland's housing intensification plans should now be scrapped. There needs to be a pause, a review of this incident and a review of what we've got under the ground before we start building more houses. Do we want to become like some of these Indian cities in Bangladesh and when there's water it just sits on top of the ground? No. Duncan Garner also offered the opinion that party politics played a big part in the National Party leader deciding to join the chorus urging the mayor to act the night before. But on Twitter the same morning, Herald political correspondent Thomas Coughlin said this was a big moment for the new Prime Minister Chris Hipkins. If he shines, said Thomas Coughlin, Chris Hipkins will get a few days or even weeks of attention where he can demonstrate his worth. But Thomas Coughlin went on to say if Chris Hipkins messed it up, that'd be bad news in a city where opinion polls suggested they're already leaning blue. So even in an epic crisis caused by the weather, confirmed as costing three lives on Saturday afternoon, 
Taking the political temperatures front of mind for some of our journalists, preoccupied still with polls and polling day later this year. Well, also among those is Tova O'Brien, back on the air for the year on Wednesday last week, back at a time when Jacinda Ardern was still our Prime Minister. First of all, we have that election, a hotly contested election, a real proper election where there's real proper need for us voters to be listened to. We have strong leaders across all of the political parties and when it's this close, when there are this many variables, when when things are as tough out there as they are for so many people, those leaders are going to have to work in overdrive for each and every vote. And although Tova didn't know it at that point, who'd be leading the country was one of those variables within 24 hours. At that point, the two biggest political parties had pitched up in a town big enough for both of them, Napier, to plan the election year ahead, and the political reporters that followed them there expected the Labour leader to reveal the election date, and Jacinda Ardern duly did, the 14th of October. But that wasn't the so-called October surprise, which was described this way by RNZ's Katie Scotcher. An election year bombshell no one saw coming. And so today I'm announcing that I will not be seeking re-election and that my term as Prime Minister will conclude no later than the 7th of February. And clearly Labour MP Kieran McAnulty didn't see it coming either, judging by this. Oh, shit. You know, I wasn't expecting it. But one person in the media could claim to have seen it coming. Jacinda Ardern will step down as Labour Party leader before Christmas, picks Rachel Smalley in her column this week. Rachel, bold claim. <laughs> it is. Well, it was, and one that NBR columnist and Today FM early morning host Rachel Smalley was mocked for back in October when she said she'd bet her house on Jacinda Ardern stepping down before Christmas. Now, having told her radio listeners she actually didn't know anything that any other pundit didn't, Media Watch pointed out in our last show of the year that Rachel Smalley's house was not yet on the market, and neither was Jacinda Ardern. But after Jacinda Ardern's I Quit announcement on the 19th of January, she resisted the temptation to tell one of her own colleagues at Today FM, told you so. And I had you on the show and I ridiculed you, but you weren't far (laughs) off it. In fact, you published it on the same date, well, a year before to the day exactly that the election is going to be held. So first first off, I'm going to apologise. Well, Jacinda Ardern's I Quit announcement addressed the who, what and when, but on the matter of why, political pundits reckoned not enough in the tank wasn't really the full story. Senior Herald political correspondent Audrey Young said two other scenarios developed immediately after her announcement last week. One, Ardern succumbed to the vitriol and bile directed more vehemently against women politicians. And two, she bowed out early because she couldn't stand to lose the election this year. And even though Ardern herself insisted neither explanation was true, both already seemed baked into history, said Audrey Young. And she's not wrong about that. But as journalists write that first draft of history, well, they are the bakers. Bakers, like their bread, are famously early to rise, but Ardern's mid-January announcement caught many in the media on the hop. Stuff's Andrea Vance put it like this, with tongue-in-cheek. This was supposed to be a week of idle, lazy speculation for commentators as we eased into the political year. Now that came in a column headlined, Jacinda Ardern and Grant Robertson just conceded the election. And she was echoed in that by Rachel Nostradamus-Smalley the same day on Today FM. Robertson knows it is impossible to win the election without the golden goose that is Ardern there. But that was before Ardern's replacement and a new deputy had even been named, let alone what policies they might adopt or drop 
and whatever else might happen between now and mid-October. That same day, PR man and right-wing pundit Matthew Hooton, who's also the right-hand man to the Auckland mayor, begged to differ in the Herald. Ardern has allowed her party to make a real fight of it. National will need to revisit its strategy. Another Labour New Zealand First government, backed by the Greens, is probably the best bet right now. And way back on the 7th of January, under the headline, The Herald Politics Team Predicts the Next Year in Politics, the Herald team actually refused to predict the election outcome. For this reason. It would lead to a temptation to try to make it become a self-fulfilling prophecy for the sake of being right. We do not like being wrong. It would also deprive us of a happy year of speculation, and it would be a wild guess at best, given it's still too early to pick. Quite right. And as if to illustrate that, the article was illustrated with pictures of Luxon and Ardern side by side, above a caption claiming one of them would be PM after the next election. And that hasn't aged that well, because one of them now can't be. But also caught on the hop by Ardern's timing, was political editor at Newsroom, Joe Moyer, who said this on social media. Apologies to the Today FM producer, who not only broke the news to me, but also had to deal with me asking them if they were serious, as I stood in a large crowd at the Aussie Open, laughing at my current location. Tough crowd, but most of the regular political air news programmes were also still on a summer break as well. So on Saturday morning, the election of Chris Hipkins was too soon for TBNZ, whose viewers saw only captions announcing his elevation during an episode of The Great British Sewing Bee. And in the absence of News Hub Nation on TV3, similar captions during a US show called Dodgeball Thunderdome. Angela and Trevor face off in a $25,000 game of dodgeball. You do not want to miss it. Lots of winner-takes-all energy there, but not especially political, though the promos during that show last weekend for Heartbreak Island were closer to it. It's still anyone's game. If you don't make it through, then you can kiss the grand final goodbye. Ah! (laughs) We're all just hoping that someone mucked it up more than we did. Meanwhile, at the same time on News Talk ZB, the weekend fill-in host Francesca Rudkin needed input from the listeners. Uh, And another one here, hi. We've now got Richie Cunningham from Happy Days running the country. It's not going to be Happy Days for Labour, though. They might as well pack their bags now. But not everyone in politics can be Fonzie. And anyway, Richie Cunningham was played by Ron Howard, who actually went on to make many of Hollywood's most popular films. Now, when Labour's deputy was picked last Sunday, it was too soon for TBNZ's Q&A show, which isn't back till next month, and it interrupted Sunday Sport on News Talk ZB later that day, like this. Do we have a breaking news sting that we could use, perhaps? I know we're a sports show, but there you go. This is News Talk ZB Breaking News. Carmel Cepaloni has been selected as Deputy Prime Minister and Labour Leader. Now, today FM's decision to get Toba O'Brien back on air before most other news shows paid off for them after Ardern quit. Kaboom! Everything we thought we knew about this election was just blown out of the water. The implications of the Prime Minister's resignation are enormous. Christopher Luxon, National Party leader, has Jacinda Ardern just handed you the election. Hey, morning, Toba. How are you today? A bit mind-blown, to be honest. Have you just won the election thanks to Jacinda Ardern? Uh, Look, no. I think actually nothing really changes for us. So Tova O'Brien brought her own kaboom energy last Monday when pondering the state of Labour's relationships like this. It's like really great makeup sex after a horrid argument. Labour is experiencing all of the feelings right now, but reality is waiting and about to strike. 
But while Tova O'Brien reckoned it was now game on for the election rather than game over, the game the pundits were all playing was something like the opposite of pin the tail on the donkey. It was pick the policy to push off the agenda. Even before Labour's new leaders had been named, TVNZ was asking political pundits to pick, and the new public media entity, also known as the RNZ-TVNZ merger, was high up on their list. National Party pollster David Farrer, for example, said it was an obvious one to drop. It's just racking up a lot of people and there's no actual votes in it. You've already got perceptions around the government interfering too much in the media. Though that was a pretty obvious opinion from a founder of the outfit already campaigning against the merger and pushing that perception, the Taxpayers' Union. Public relations consultant and former National Party Press Secretary Ben Thomas also told TVNZ that media merger was an obvious thing to scrap, but... At the same time, they don't want to look like they're massively folding on everything. It can't just be like jettisoning refuse from an aeroplane. Now these days, planes don't actually offload their waste like that, thankfully. But even if Chris Hipkins does now push problem policies off his party's plane, politic website editor Richard Harmon pointed out that the PM and the Finance Minister were both making it clear in 2022 that a reset was coming anyway, and in pretty stark terms. Finance Minister Grant Robertson told ministers to be prepared to murder their darlings and focus on the core cost of living related stuff. And to get people used to that idea, a little less gruesomely, the incoming Prime Minister this week was on a bread and butter based diet with the media. Given the current challenges that New Zealand is facing at the moment, we've really got to focus in on those issues that are the most essential to New Zealanders, those bread and butter issues that they want to see us really putting our attention on. Now, Chris Hipkins has not yet said whether a public media entity was bread and butter or not, but pundits and political reporters seem almost unanimous that it isn't. Among them, Bernard Hickey in his self-published commentary The Kaka, and even a former Labour leader, David Cunliffe, who wrote this for The Herald. Three waters will be off the table, likely also speed limit restrictions and the TVNZ-RNZ merger. Now that was music to many in the rival media too, like commercial radio broadcasters, whose umbrella group chief Jaina Ranguni wrote in the Herald that the new entity was a monopolistic, monolithic monster, which would be bad for the country, even though other comparable countries seem to value the ones that they have. And just before Christmas, market research commissioned by the lobby group Better Public Media said that more New Zealanders support the merged RNZ-TVNZ than oppose it. 44% of 1,000 people they surveyed said they supported a public media entity that was funded with $109 million a year to provide a wider range of content. 29% didn't support it and a quarter didn't know. And that prompted the trust chair, Miles Thomas, to say this in the Herald. With a little more information about the merger, including the cost and purpose for it, New Zealanders are more supportive of this policy. But National Party leader Christopher Luxon isn't one of them. Last month he told RNZ's Morning Report that if the government gets the merger over the line next March, he'll do this. I would actually stop it and demerge it. Uh, and the reason's very simple, is that over the next 30 years, the New Zealand taxpayers having to front up with $6 billion. Uh, and so any demerging costs uh, is a good return on that investment. And even if it was proved to prove popular and successful with the public, you would... Uh... It's, it's, it's not going to be popular or successful. And when Christopher Luxon came back from his Christmas break two weeks ago, he told the NBR's political editor Brent Edwards this when Brent Edwards mentioned that other comparable countries already have joined up public broadcasters. Similar countries in a oh, sense of utterly, Western democracies. Utterly, totally they, they, insane. They, they, but they have these single 
broadcasting. Utterly, totally insane. You're taking a... You know, there is, when you ask the Prime Minister or Willie Jackson, why are we doing this? That's a very simple question. Why? They can't explain it. What they've got is an ideological solution in search of a problem. And Christopher Luxon went on to tell the NBR's Brent Edwards he didn't think he'd need to kill that merger policy anyway. And I bet you they'll dump it. I bet you they'll dump it. You know, and yet what's that all been about and why have we wasted all of that time? Now, calling public media funding insane and ideological is part of what the pundits are calling a small target strategy the Nationals expected to run in the run-up to the next election. And this week, act David Seymour, who could be a minister in the National-led government, labelled TVNZ insane over some small target strategy on the newly returned breakfast show. They shot up a tiny Donald Trump troll doll in the studio for laughs with a salt-powered stun gun for killing insects. Yeah. So get a little, uh, a little doll, a little Donald Trump doll, yeah. and go hard. Just don't shoot other people. No. It does say, don't, don't aim for that don't, and I face or eyes. No, it, d- it didn't hurt. OK. Yeah. TVNZ later said this segment was intended to be light-hearted to showcase the product, and they apologised if the segment upset any of their viewers. But TVNZ's news website still urges you to watch what it calls this hilarious in-studio moment. The banterish, badly-timed free advertising on what was supposed to be a news programme was also further grist to the mill of those who complain that the cultures of the two state broadcasters can't really be happily merged anyway, even if the government does stick to its current plan. Now, the merger moved on a step this week when the Select Committee scrutinising the legislation for the new public media entity published tweaks responding to concerns about its editorial independence and vulnerability to potential political influence. And as things stand, the bill is due to be debated in Parliament soon, so the new entity can be created in March, which is just around the corner, unless the government under new management does pull the pin on the whole thing in line with the pundits' current predictions and the urgings of the opposition. And with that in mind, Morning Report's Guy and Espiner asked the National Party's broadcasting spokesperson, Melissa Lee, last Friday, what will you do about it if you get into office? I think the broadcasters actually probably know it best rather than politicians. And politicians should not dictate what the medium should be or what the entity should look like. And the National Party, it seems, is clearly wedded to the status quo, retaining a state-owned commercial TV company that dominates the free-to-air TV market but makes the state no money. And there's probably a bigger distortion of the media market now than any new public media entity in its place will be if it's not for profit. Melissa Lee also said that RNZ should be better funded to do what it does, as her leader had said before Christmas. But if the Hipkins-led Labour government does press on with a new merged entity, but loses the next election, well, Melissa Lee told Morning Report it would still be worth the wasted money to reverse it for this reason. Because it certainly will be cheaper to undo it than to actually continue down the path where we have no certainty as to what benefit this will actually give to New Zealanders. And ultimately, according to the minister's officials and the uh, consultants that I actually spoke to in the minister's office, it's going to cost more than $6 billion, not million, billion dollars over the next 30 years as ANZPM. The $6 billion bill Melissa Lee referred to there is the annual funding budgeted for the new media entity over the next three years, pushed out over the next 30. However, under the status quo, the annual current state spending on public media is well over $300 million a year in all its forms, and that makes the bill for that over $10 billion anyway by 2050, 
without any guarantee of anything close to the kind of comprehensive service that other comparable countries get for their public media money in return. And it's a huge irony that while media policy is usually at the very bottom of the priorities for political parties in election year, this year it's top of the list to be dumped at the very point a real change has actually become possible. Every Wednesday night here on RNZ National, after the 10pm news, Media Watch joins Karen Hay on nights for Midweek Media Watch, catching up on more of the stuff going on in the media that we don't always get to each weekend. Last Wednesday, I joined Karen to talk more about how the media handled Jacinda Ardern's summer surprise and big job cuts signalled at one of our big radio broadcasters, MediaWorks. And I also had a chat a little bit about what I did on my holiday. If you missed that, that's on the Media Watch page of the RNZ website, the RNZ app, or you'll find it in our podcast feed, available to you anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. And next Wednesday, Hayden Donnell is back from his summer break to talk to Karen. Find out how much of his summer silly season bingo card he was able to tick off. And finally on Media Watch this weekend, as we heard earlier, and all the stuff about politics, rash predictions in the media can blow up in your face. But in my last Midweek Media Watch chat with Karen Hay last year, I felt on pretty safe ground, pun intended, predicting this. If there's not much going on over summer, this could be like the shark story of... <laughs> The silly season, we're going to be seeing us all over the country, people standing by appalling potholes and, and dodgy rushed uh, road repairs. That's my prediction for the summer. Could be wrong, but there we go. Well, I hope not. We don't need that, especially, you know, having a holiday and then there's massive potholes and tar all over your car. And that seemed a pretty safe bet back then with Waka Kotahi warning that more than 10% of the state highway network was due to be resealed or rebuilt this summer. And the National Party had launched a pothole of the week competition to back up its claim the roads are the worst we've ever seen. And there was plenty more about all that in the media over the new year. For example, under the headline Pothole Nation on December the 28th, the Herald said this. Kiwis will take to a road network this summer described as in its worst state by AA members, with rim-wrecking, tyre-popping potholes. And the Herald went on to report a record 555 complaints to Waka Kotahi in 2022 about vehicle damage caused by potholes, up from just under 300 in 2020. No wonder we were hearing things like this on talk radio in the new year from the driver of a crippled camper van. The pothole damage in New Zealand is just unbelievable. People in New Zealand are now taking personal liability suits against companies like Fulton Hogan because of the state of our roads. This country is going down the dunny in terms of its infrastructure. Others on Talkback were blaming central and local government for the potholes and this guy even wanted to take it out on the health and safety people. And these guys in the safe need to be shot. News Talk ZB host Francesca Rudkin gently told that guy... Maybe, maybe we don't need to shoot them, but oh, I agree with you. I think there's a delivery no, problem. Stuff also deployed that Pothole Nation headline in the new year, reporting on vigilante residents filling potholes themselves, and often not all that well. And under headlines like Holy Hell and Gone to Pot, NZME's local and regional papers also reported National Party Transport spokesperson Simeon Brown saying this... I've been hearing from many Kiwis over the summer that our roads are in the worst state they have ever seen. And on the 16th of January, Today FM took up the story like this. 
the potholes peppering New Zealand's road network are causing more disruption and frustration than ever before. Now, Waka Kotahi received a record number of complaints of vehicle damage caused by potholes in the first 10 months of 2022, 555 compared to 421 the previous year. And the Herald that same day then cited that figure again of and said it was evidence the roads are in the worst state they've ever been. Three days later on Today FM, Tova O'Brien told listeners this. New Zealand's pothole problem reached an all-time high last year with Waka Kotahi receiving more than 555 claims for compensation as a result of vehicle damage. But that figure wasn't new. The AM show on TV Channel 3 actually aired at first back in October last year like this. Exclusive figures released to AM by ACT this morning revealed that of the 550 complaints made so far this year, yes, so far this year. And having supplied that startling stat exclusively to the AM show, ACT's transport spokesperson Simon Court joined AM's Ryan Bridge to pump up the political pressure. Is that our fault for hitting the potholes? We've asked Michael Wood, who's responsible for the transport agency, uh, how many complaints have you received? And when he told us, we were shocked. At the time, ACT launched a campaign to pressure the government to fix the roads faster called We Hear Ya. But just last week, RNZ also reported that that record number of complaints that was reported in October and repeated all summer since was actually misreported, according to Waka Kotahi. Waka Kotahi said that ACT had processed the information incorrectly. There were only 207 complaints specifically about damage from potholes in 2022, and that's just one more than the number for 2021. Those 555 compensation claims were prompted by damage to a range of private property, and the total number of damage complaints, according to Waka Kotahi, had actually decreased over the previous five years. We have moved to correct the record as quickly as we can, Waka Kotahi claimed, though four months seems an awfully long time to take for clarification, especially as the wrong impression was conveyed by almost every major news outlet after the ACT Party launched its campaign. But ACT's campaign wasn't just about repairing the roads, as Simon Court made clear on the AM show four months ago. This government and the transport agency have their priorities all wrong. In a government that involves ACT, we would make sure that the agency is doing what they're supposed to, deliver safer roads, but also make sure that we can travel at a decent speed. And just before the new year, ACT's We Here road campaign rolled out a new slogan, Stop Lowering Speed Limits. Now this called for $45 million budgeted to lower speed limits on highways deemed to be dangerous to be put towards fixing the roads instead. And that chimed with that camper van driver on Talkback Radio who reckoned that slowing down was part of the problem. I see the news every night and I see the ads slow down. I see all the signs on the road to slow down. If 70% of the business that this tow truck company had was due to potholes, after what I've seen in the last three and a half weeks, I think it would contribute a lot to the loss of life on our roads. Well, she was right about the ads. A major campaign against speeding launched this week. Oh, I was just overtaking someone, officer. Could have only been a couple of k's over. But opposition to lowered speed limits has also been making lots of headlines lately. For example, the Wired Upper Times Age newspaper over the New Year period devoted several front pages to plans to cut highway speed limits to 80 k's an hour in the region, including one front page carrying just these words from Carterton Mayor Ron Mark. These idiots think speed is the problem. Grow up! And all this against the backdrop of a holiday road toll that police called completely unacceptable. 
Now, earlier this month, the Herald published an editorial all about that, concluding that driver education was actually the key to lowering the toll. But you could forgive readers sharing their concern for being confused, because while they're seeing big ad campaigns urging them to slow down and new speed limit reductions on crash-prone roads, opposition to lower speeds has been widely aired in the media too, along with political campaigns saying faster roads should be the priority. And all of that against the backdrop of complaints pumped up by coverage of the political blame game about potholes, which was pinned on a startling statistic published over and over since last October, which the source says is actually misleading. Well, that's all we have for you in Media Watch this weekend. We'll be back again with more on the media, though, with Midweek Media Watch after the 10pm news next Wednesday night on Nights with Karen Hay. And then back again with more Media Watch at the same time next weekend here on RNZ National.